welcome to the fourth episode of the North American Alporn podcast. We are joined today by Jim Hobson, who is a multi-instrumentalist, and he is a freelance musician, composer, and teacher of almost all things, at least brass instrument related. Welcome, Jim. Hi, Jim. Oh, great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and get this kicked off with the first question I have for you, um, but just to kind of give everyone a chance to get to know who you are before we get into the meat of this with all the outpouring questions, what are your interests outside of music? Outside of music, uh, I'm a big fan of like OG Texas barbecue, smoke and meat in general. I'm a cook, you know, I, I like to do that. I'm actually a really big Lego fan, be, be honest. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, a little bit of that. And uh, I love my wife, my cats growing stuff in the garden. Yeah, you know, just just living the good life. Nice. What Lego sets are you particularly interested in? Oh, you know, I really like the like creator expert sets and the ideas sets, the ones that are um, just sort of, I don't know, the kind of adult ones, I guess. But the ones that are, you know, quite large and involved. And, and yeah, I did this bonsai tree the other day that was uh, out of this world. Oh, nice. I haven't done any of those ones. I, I'm more into the uh, the city ones with the like Paris and Las Vegas. And those those are the ones that I kind of focus on. Oh, the architecture ones. Those are pretty. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Those are awesome. That's great. I was say I'm, I'm that. And then jigsaw puzzles is what I am pretty good at burning time with. I mean, those things are great pandemic hobbies. I got to say, well, they, they are kind of habits, actually. A <laughs> little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, let's see. So what is your favorite part of playing an outboard compared to the other instruments? And maybe before we get into that, we should uh, have you tell everyone what instruments you play besides the outboard. Sure. So when I'm not blown into a long wooden tube, I'm often found playing a trombone, a bass trombone, tuba, euphonium, you know, low brass in general. That's sort of my thing. I do play bass guitar as well, and I do some singing. Yeah. What would be your favorite part of playing an outboard? outside of those other instruments that you play. Gotcha. Well, so the Alporn, I think it's interesting because, you know, I, and I like to say this to some of my students is that good brass playing does not necessarily make for good Alporn playing, right? Yeah, it's it's a different <laughs> thing, right? It's a different thing. So, you know, trombone, low brass tends to be a, an inherently high risk, high reward sort of instrument family to play. Alporn is that sort of exponentially, you know? Uh, the way you connect notes on an outboard, the way you can connect notes, the way you can rip through the partial series, do quick flexibilities because the instrument doesn't slot as firmly as, say, a trombone or a trumpet or anything with a lead pipe in it. So there's a lot of really vocal expressive things that are possible on the outboard that are also possible on brass instruments, but they just sort of, for me, they connect better on the outboard. Okay. And then I guess to kind of piggyback on that one is, and maybe this doesn't happen at all, but how does the Alporn influence the way that you play other instruments and vice versa? Oh, a huge amount, a huge amount. Well, so what I've noticed is that the brass players who tend to have a really easy time just immediately going from their instrument to an Alporn tend to be French horn players for obvious reasons, because it's, it's a similar length as, as the open F horn and that they do all that high partial work you know, the high close overtone uh, work and also jazz trombonists for the same reason is that a lot of what we do is very quick, smooth flexibilities in the upper register, right? 
So a lot of the stuff that I, I mean, I would say all the stuff that I practice on trombone, I, I practice on Alphorn and vice versa. I mean, when you think about it, the technique is essentially the same. It's the same embouchure. Right. It's just you're, you're putting it into a different tube, basically. Yeah. Alphorn certainly does keep you honest in terms That's, of the other instruments. Yes. Yeah. Usually uh, when I'm in, in good Alphorn shape. Everything else is working OK, too. It's fair. Sean, uh, has any questions that you have? Oh, I have so many questions. <laughs> so, Jim, talk about your connection to the Al Alphorn. Uh, you've been exposed to this since you were a baby. And uh, then I'd also like to hear your you talk about your relationship with Robert. The two of you have known each other for so long. And I think that's an interesting story as well. Sure. We kind of look like brothers. Yeah, that, yeah we, had a, we had a couple instances of people confusing us before I threw the beard out. Yeah. Thank you, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'd be happy to be confused for you uh, any day. Okay. Likewise, my friend. Likewise. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, my dad is a pretty well-known Alporn player. Bill Hobson is the guy who started up Rocky Mountain Alporns. He's built about 150 handmade Alporns. He's gone over to Switzerland played at all the competitions. I think won most of the competitions, except the ones they disqualified him for, for playing too expressively. Uh, that's a whole other thing. And yeah, I, I mean, I've just been, because of my dad, I, I've been listening to the Alporn literally my entire life. You know, it's just kind of a thing that was always around. As a kid, I honestly didn't really get seriously into, into music uh, until I was about 16 or 17. But before that, my, both of my parents being great musicians, and I should give full credit actually to my mom, who's a brilliant cellist. And wow. that, I mean, she played in the, in the orchestra till she was like eight months pregnant with me, oh you know, my playing, playing Brahms with, with me in the womb there. So the, the cello is, is been another thing that's, that's really connected and uh, how expressive and how just a solid musician my mom is. That's, I mean, she's a huge influence, probably as much as my dad, if not more. That's Don't amazing. Him. No. <laughs> that's <laughs> but, amazing. Um, I think just growing up in a musical family was a big part of, of where I ended up going. And I know that you and Robert have known each other for your whole lives. Talk about the first time you remember meeting each other and, and then this friendship that you've had for all of these years. Man, when, when was the first time we met, Robbie? Was I was going to say it was probably about a decade ago, because I think it would have been the right. first time that you came to the Alporn retreat. I was going to say it was probably at, at a solitude retreat. Right. Yeah, and then we started seeing each other at Oktoberfests when you joined up with Espon. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was. I think that was 2013 when I when I I got the gig with Espon, which is kind of a crazy story actually, which I'll I'll tell at some point. But uh, is it a better off air story? No, no. It's a good. It's oh, okay. a good story. It's it's actually it's when I tell my students too because it's like you know when you're when you're trying to get ahead in the music business like. The word no is a word you have to use very sparingly sometimes. Right. And it's kind of related to that. Not in a bad way, not, not, in a, not in a weird way, but, uh, okay. but yeah, no, uh, I think it would have been a solitude and man, I got to say those retreats are, are fantastic. And Robbie plays like a pivotal role in organizing those. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it was a blast, man. I remember many, many conversations in the hot tub, usually. Yes. <laughs> Possibly with liquid refreshment. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so I admire your work very much and heard you play some very progressive songs. And two years ago, 
uh, you and I worked together. And during that retreat, you played a piece that was just, everybody was talking about it the rest of the, the time. It was just incredible. But you're also, you really embraced that uh, Swiss sound as well. You and your dad recorded Generations a few years ago, and which I really think that work is tremendous. Could you talk about Generations and your work in general? I just, I, I really admire it. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, you know, hey, if one person digs this album, that, that makes my day, you know. Um, it's, incre- it's incredible. And for those of you that have not heard uh, Generations, download that. It is tremendous. So, uh, you know, we call it Generations because, well, okay, there's the father-son connection, two gen- generations of our family playing outporn. And just like, you know, with Robbie, with your family, that's, it's a multi-generational instrument. And traditionally that's kind of what it would be. It's, it's, uh, you know, a shepherd father would pass this instrument down to a shepherd son. I mean, again, fully acknowledging yeah. that Switzerland was a patriarchal society. Now you're passing it down to your daughter. You right. Know, women are more than welcome. You know, like the outborn community is incredibly diverse these days. Which yeah. is is something we need to, I think, if we're talking about where the Alporn is going in the future, that's something I would speak to for sure. But yeah, that so that's what the, the title of the album refers to. It's just, is it's that we're respecting the tradition of the previous generation, but we're also moving forward. We're trying to grow our art. And it's, it's a tricky balance to do both of those things in an album and not make it sound like, okay, these are tracks from different albums just spliced together. You know, that was kind of the balancing act when putting that together. So we did, um, we played a lot of very sort of traditional duets, right? And one thing about having grown up listening to my dad play the Alporn is I know exactly how he's going to start and develop and end every single phrase, exactly when he's going to do it. I can read his breath, right? So that was a big thing we wanted to get across is this really, you know, this sound of two people who've been playing together for a long time and able to read each other that well. Um, I, and I hope that come, came across in the really traditional stuff, particularly the, the Hans-Jörg Summer composition that we played. Yes, um, I love it. Yeah. It's so good. So, you, I mean, it, as I said, I've, I've heard you play some really crazy music that is not traditional mountain Swiss Alphorn music that is really good. And, that, and then this work that you did on Generations is just uh, it's amazing. Thank you. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you talk about like, what is traditional Swiss Alphorn playing? Well, right. if you've, if you've ever played like, okay, you know, one of the earliest written records of Alphorn music we have is that Gassmann book, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. And if you play any of the mel- melodies out of the Gassmann book, there's some weird stuff there. There there's, is. There's some weird. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. There's minor keys and everything. I, I love that you said that because I agree. And that I think that, you and Robert both have composed some really great music that uh, embody that. Yeah. I mean, you, when I think about the, like the real traditional spirit, and again, I'm not Swiss at all, as far as I know. So I don't know if I can really speak to that, but from what I see in the Gossmann book, from what I lean from, you know, people talking to people like Hans-Jörg Sommer and my, and my dad is that the old spirit of album playing is very free. You know, if you imagine yourself being a, just a lonely shepherd, on the hillside there's no band there there's no, no metronome <laughs> there's not a lot of structure it's just you're playing freely uh and i'm i'm assuming taking liberties and improvising because it's most it's an oral tradition it wasn't written until that's the right early 20th century 
you know? So there was a tune on that generation CD called the pastoral improvisation, which is me just trying to do some improvising freely like that. Not, not, not being jazz or anything like that, just freely improvising in that sort of mentality, you know? I love it. Yeah. Robert, I I heard your dad play last night, this amazing song. Uh, We've been working with a composer and he was doing just that. It was his interpretation of this music. And it was, it was so inspiring to hear this. I love it. Very cool. I I was just going to say like, you know, the, um, the Alphorn has, has a lot of possibilities, harmonic possibilities, and also a lot of limitations, right? Because you've only got See, as a composer, that's the interesting thing for me, because the hardest thing to to do as a composer or an improviser is to look at like a a blank page. There's no structure there, right? Right. Well, the Alphorn gives you structure right away. There's like 16 notes over four octaves. This is what you got to work with. It's easy to write when you when you think about that. Okay, that's the first limitation. That's great. I'll say like I one thing that I've enjoyed about which I haven't done enough recently, but writing for the Alphorn is that because there's not that many possible notes and there's, you know, kind of only a few combinations that you can consistently get to sound good, especially if you're writing for a group. But it's okay. here's a couple basic rules. And then as a composer, I can kind of figure out, okay, I'm going to give the melody and a little bit of harmony and then just write as few instructions on the page as I can. And then just say, as a performer, go take this and figure out how you feel that day or how, what you think this is supposed to sound like, but go run with this. And like, I'm just going to give you a little bit of framework and then turn it into the world and give it to the performers to do with what they will. Oh, I love that. That's exactly right. I think it's so, that is so fun to hear the two of you talk like this. Jim, one of the things that uh, has been this, thread that we've been exploring is the European or in Swiss Alphorn F versus F sharp. Talk about your thoughts on the North American. Is there a North American sound? Is there a North American technique? And your thoughts on F and F sharp uh, instruments? Sure. Uh, you know, my, my favorite key to playing is actually E. <laughs> Seriously, Dad has an e horn. That's, that's yes. You know, I mean, I, I'm I'm a bass drummer player. I like low yeah. notes. I mean, if you if you've heard me play, you know that I yeah. like right. low notes. Right. Right. You know, I play on quite a large. I, cl- I play on a trombone style mouthpiece. So, but but no. Um, you know, honestly, uh, I personally, I'm okay with playing an, an F or an F sharp. You know, whatever the the band around me is playing in, it it is a different vibe playing an F. Bands, you know, a lot of my Alphorn gigs. Uh, playing with a band like Espon, well, it's way easier to operate in F than in F sharp, right? It's just, it's a more convenient key for a lot of, you know, situations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really make a difference to me. Obviously, you know, when you're, you're an F, you're, you're a semitone higher. So if you're going for an Alphorn double high C, it's a semitone higher, which is, you know, a consideration, right? Uh, but I also find that pedal notes actually pop better on F sharp ones. Uh, on, on a lot of them, anyway. In terms of like a, a North American versus a Swiss sound, you know, I don't know if I can speak to that because I think there's all, all these different pockets in North America that kind of have their own their own sound, you know. I certainly do know that when I compare like my dad's horns, which I'm used to playing on, versus a lot of the horns from the makers in Switzerland, is the dad's horns seem like they're designed to sound really good in a concert hall. The sound is big, dark, 
like a classical French horn player's sound concept. Whereas the horns I've played from Switzerland tend to be a little brighter, maybe project better outdoors, you know? Yeah. I do definitely feel that here in North America, because this is kind of like, this is kind of the wild West in terms of literally the wild West in terms of Alphorn playing. We don't have as big a scene, but we're also not as bound by traditions. Yes. And I think you see this all over the world. I think you see in Europe, people like Arcadi and people like Alex Juice who take the Alphorn and go in very different directions with it because they're not necessarily just embedded in, in the, the sort of large Swiss scene, which again, nothing wrong with that, that scene. I think there's some amazing things coming out of there too. A lot of personalities though, like a lot of individual sort of yeah. sounds outside of Switzerland, you know, a lot of strong personalities. Just one thing I'm noticing. Yeah. Um, I would say that one thing I've kind of noticed to touch on a couple things that you've asked Sean is I don't know that I've, other than the obvious of F being easier to play with, a company as especially anyone who's using a keyed instrument. But what I've noticed about horns is having horns from, I think my main three horns, I have one of uh, Bill's and then I have one from Germany and one from Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is that the horns from Switzerland tend to be designed for F sharp first. Yeah. So right, those horns right. tend to feel more natural in that setting. And then F is a, is an afterthought. Right. Whereas horns built in Germany or the U.S. where F is the main key, then those tend to fall in and say, oh, this is the key we're going to play and this is where we want it to sound the best. Hmm. And then it's not a real limitation, but it's certainly like you notice that it's easier to do one in one key versus the other based on where the horn was built. Makes sense. Oh, that, that, or who that, was that, built that, by? That makes a lot of sense. I mean, dad definitely builds his horn to, horns in F and then the F, he does the, the two top sections in f sharp right yeah um he used to build them in a different like when he first built them uh, and uh, there's he probably still has these i don't think he ever sold them a couple prototypes where he built an f sharp horn and then like an f ext extension which of course we know does not work yeah, very well right. so you kind of have to have the, the top two sections as a modular thing yeah to keep it relatively conical the bore and everything yeah jim i Last year, I had an opportunity to buy one of your dad's early Alphorns, and I love it. What you said, that it, it has this rich sound that, that was designed to be played in a concert hall, you're exactly right. And when we're together, I'll, I'm going to, I'll bring this horn to you. It was probably, he built it, I probably before you were born, but uh, I'm so excited that I have it and, and I love playing it. So you're... Oh. Congratulations. I love it. It's hey, so fun. Hey, listen, those hops and horns, man, they're they're just going to appreciate too. I love it. I love this horn. Oh man, it you know, part of it is, you know, when dad got into building horns, it was mostly just because he couldn't find an instrument that really suited his sound <laughs> concept, you know. Um, I think he originally he had a Schubach, which was a good horn. Yeah. Um and he sort of like took it apart and put it back together again to figure out how they're put together. He also has a background as a woodworker, like from, oh, from, from being a kid. Right. So, so that sort of tied into it. Easy. But you, if you got an early Hobson horn, man, that thing, mm -hmm. hold on to that thing. That's I, I'm cool. excited that I have it. Fantastic. Jim, one of the things uh, that we've been talking about as well is how do we protect and grow this art form? And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the, I, I mean, I look at the two of you 
as the the custodians of this art form, you have a lot of pressure, I think, where you are the next generation that's going to perpetuate this music and uh, the history and talk about your thoughts of where you think this instrument, the art form is going and what can we do to protect and grow this art form? Oh, great question. I mean, you know, the first thing I, I really think, and I think I mentioned it earlier, is to really encourage a wide, like a very diverse, you know, very diverse reach out, you know, to different parts of society. You know what I mean? Like, we have to admit, look, the Alphorn, historically, right, is a white European men's instrument. That's yeah, right. that's what it, what it's been. And that that's a very small segment of the of the population of of the world in North America and and it doesn't have to be like that you know i think people who identify from a, a, a you know a wide variety of backgrounds could find interest in the alphorn it's just i think sometimes there maybe is a perception it's not for some people which is not true i think it's t- totally inclusive right i mean i have a lot of friends that are from like backgrounds that are totally not Swiss. Uh, a good, one of the better Alphorn players around here is, is a, is a, a fellow from uh, Korea, uh, Kimmy. He, uh, he speaks a little bit of English, but he plays beautifully. Mm. Uh, you know, in Vancouver, we have a big Asian population, right? right. And uh, actually the Alphorn, I think is starting to take off in other parts of the world too, which is kind of cool. You know, I think part of that is, is we can also look into, look, how can the Alphorn participate on the broader stage of world music you know right how can we bring the the alphorn and fuse it with other genres how can we fuse it with um you know latin music funk blues you know contemporary classical music how can we take this instrument just from this little corner of the music scene and make it sort of pop in other scenes as well uh, I'll interject here real quick, but uh, as I'm brainstorming ideas while you're talking about this, I propose that you and I go down to New Orleans, take some Alphorns with us, and then use some of your connections down there. Sure. And just get some people and just like take a bunch of mouthpieces and say like, here, That's play so with it. Like, just let's let's let some jazz musicians down there. Yeah. get a hold of it and see what they do see see that's the other thing is, is having musicians from a huge like a different number of backgrounds uh, approach the alp you know the people that tend to come to the alphorn tend to be either you know of swiss extraction right yes. or uh classical musicians who are brass players that's that's, right. that's like the lion's share of the people who seem to gravitate to the alphorn but as we know, what happens when like a jazz musician gets a hold of this thing and figures out the possibilities, you know, like, OK, then you have people like Arcadi doing incredible things, yes. you know, on the instrument. What what happens when somebody's, you know, maybe a really great soul singer picks up, you know, the Alphorn and starts wailing away? You know, what, what are the possibilities of bringing other communities of musicians to this instrument? Because honestly, OK, the Alphorn is great. I, I love it as a as a sort of medium of, of expression. It's the interface in a sense. But there's sometimes hesitate to call the Alphorn or any brass instrument a musical instrument. Now, okay, don't take me the wrong way here. Is there anything on the Alphorn that actually makes a sound, that actually produces sound? No. Vibration. Yeah. No. no All the Alphorn does is it resonates what you put into it with your brain and your body. Your brain and your body is the instrument right? The Alphorn is just going to amplify that. 
or resonate that. So really, just like for any musician, nothing's going to come out of the horn that isn't already inside you. So that's really what we need is we need more, a wider variety of personalities picking up the instrument and putting the music that's in here into the instrument. I mean, that's just what I think. But. I love it. Yeah, no, that's definitely one of the things that I, I think we'll have to make a concerted effort of going forward. And it's, I know the, the conversation about how do we carry this forward? Like I remember or kind of remember a conversation uh, last time we had the retreat at solitude about saying that, like, we're kind of getting to a point where it is going to be you and myself and a couple of the other younger people that we know that are going to have to kind of pick up this flag and carry it forward and figuring out how to do that and take what's, I I think, you know, our parents have started of building this tradition in the United States of the Alporn, but now figure out what the next step is. Sure. Absolutely. How do you make it seem cool to kids? And actually, you know what? It You don't have to do a lot to make it seem cool to kids, because honestly, I've done school shows playing Alporn, you know, all over the, the province up here. And as soon as you take that thing out of the case, even before you blow a note, they're hooked. They want to know. It's amazing. Yes. Right. It's almost as much a visual medium of oh. just having an Alporn with you as it is playing it. Like it's mostly everyone's like, oh, that looks cool. And then you just do the next step by being able to play more than one or two notes. There's nothing right. like it. You're right. Um, another question I had for you, I know we've kind of moved away from composition a little bit, but um, where do you find inspiration for writing music and kind of, of all styles that you do, but where does your mind kind of go when saying, oh, I want to write this song or what do you see that then inspires you to write a song? Good question. You know, inspiration comes from a variety of sources, right? Uh, Sometimes it comes from, I think oftentimes it comes from a a person that I know, right? There's a piece I wrote and this is not an outborn composition, but it's probably my composition that has, it's my top seller. It's what people play. It's, it's this, this piece for bass trombone on a company called, called meat salad. And I wrote it for a friend of mine, uh, Elon Morgenstern, who plays bass trombone in the local in the Vancouver Symphony here. And it's kind of like slap bass, like Victor Wooten stuff, but done on the bass on the bass trombone, you know. And it was just it came across just having some conversations with Elon, you know, knowing what he can do on the horn, but also uh, and he can do amazing things on the horn, but also just knowing something about this person and wanting to put pen to paper to to capture that. There's another piece I haven't published this yet um, because I'm hoping to record it. In fact, uh, I don't know if you guys ended up playing this at the last Solitude thing. It's uh, it was called uh, Ticks. I don't believe so. And and it's just a short piece. It's a simple piece that I wrote for an Alporn player up here, a good friend, uh, Oliver Beans, who was he was a very good Alporn player. And he he also collected vintage clocks. He was quite the personality. He was super like eclectic, very friendly fellow. And he passed away, I think, in 2019. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a piece to kind of just capture a little bit of of who Oliver was and to share that with people. I think the other thing that I'm interested in as a composer is, again, putting instruments into situations or into genres where you don't usually see them. You know what I mean? Like having the Alporn play a blue shuffle or having the bass trombone playing some funky, you know, Victor Wooten kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, 
Fantastic. sort of genre bending earworms. That's kind of what I want to write, you know. Great. I, I guess this is kind of where I'm going to say, like, maybe we should have you plug where people can find your music, both uh, recorded and your sheet music. Where is that available or where can they find what you do? Oh, fantastic. Well, you can check out my website if you just put in Jim Hobson trombone or Jim Hobson Alphorn into Google. Uh, my website will come up. It's uh, phonosmusic.com, P-H-O-N-O-S music.com. I have a website there. My recorded music is available on all major outlets. So that would be iTunes, Amazon, uh, CD Baby. What are the other ones? Spotify. I've got stuff on Spotify and Bandcamp. And actually, if you really want to support me as an artist and buy my music, uh, I highly encourage you to go through Bandcamp because the compensation for artists is the most equitable on that platform. That's great. Uh, yeah. And uh, if you're looking for sheet music, I also have a publishing company, Phonos Music. So you can go to my website. I sell things uh, through there. I also have a publisher page at uh, uh, Sheet Music Plus. So if you're looking for, uh, I have some Alporn uh, quartets and duos and solos published on Sheet Music Plus uh, for digital download. And you can also just get in contact with me personally, and I'm, I'm happy to sell them. Yeah. Especially fantastic. right now during coronavirus, musicians need you to buy their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fantastic. I guess my kind of last question is having attended the retreat a couple more times, and we're looking forward to having you again this year. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. It seems Hopefully. like things are working out that way. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic at this point, but <laughs> I'm just going to plan that you'll be able to come down and then we'll change that later if we have to. I'm hoping I actually, I actually got my first round of the vaccine nice. last week. So they have to give me a dose no later than August 24th, the second dose. <laughs> so that's, okay. we, well, we'll see. <laughs> hopefully you can, hopefully you can find it in time to get your second dose and have your two weeks before yeah, or maybe I'll do a little vaccine tourism. Just go south of the border and get stuck. <laughs> yes. That's fair. Yeah. Maybe they'll lift the the two week necessary yes. thing and then you can kind of just slide into Honestly, man, I miss those retreats so much um that that I might even just come down despite the quarantine. It's such a good <laughs> hang. Man, I would I would put up with two weeks of quarantine to be down there. Good. No fair enough. Um, but so my last question for you is as I've taken over uh, kind of operating and doing most of the back end stuff for the North American Alpine retreat, what changes would you like to see from like a programming standpoint, or eventually I'd like to add other events and other locations and kind of use that as a way to grow what the Alpine is. But so what changes would you like to see, or what do you think that I could do that could help grow the Alpine? And then also, you know, from a business side, what do you see that you think could help me make the retreat better? Well, I mean, uh, you already do so much and you do such a fantastic job. I mean, those, those retreats are like, I'll be honest, you know, I teach at a lot of different sort of festivals and, you know, usually trombone, but the way that you treat the participants, the students, the way you treat the faculty, um, the way things are organized. I mean, to me, these are the best festivals that you're putting on, you know, yeah, these, the best workshops. I mean, so well organized, everybody's happy. So in terms of we can talk about what you can do differently or what you can, how we can expand things. I wonder if there's a way we can do more outreach, you know, and it's a little tough because it's, it's during the summer, but I was thinking, you know, how do, how do we, can we get busloads of kids up there again? Coronavirus. That's the thing, right? But yeah. How, this how, is, 
yeah. going forward from like, we're kind of taking this as a, you know, I had to downsize quite a bit last year and was able to right. pull a little something together, but I, I kind of was like twiddling my thumbs of, I was getting ready to add a second event last year. And then that didn't happen. Then I was getting ready to try to do that this year. And it's still not quite possible. One thought would be, can we get this televised or can we get this streamed? Right. Uh, another thought would be, can we have somebody who's a dedicated behind the scenes videographer to sort of capture the magic that happens? Because I think if more people saw how really wonderfully fun and inclusive and supremely musical these retreats are <laughs> and how good the food is too, uh, <laughs> more people would be even more interested, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. So, um, I think that's all good. I think it's going to be one, as I add more events, I want to spread them out through the year and try to have focus on some that are a little more cost effective and maybe not include meals at quite the, the nice level that I've been able to do right um, at this event, but kind of just spread it out. And I, I want to do some more that are focused on experience travel where we also do some Alphorn playing, but not necessarily cool. have that be entirely the main thing. Well, I will tell you that, you know, where I live up here in Vancouver, BC is a, a tourist destination, right? Oh yeah, Especially absolutely. In, in August. And I ha I actually have, there's, there's a perfect location to host an Alporn retreat up here. There's a little piece of Switzerland up in Coquitlam, up in the suburbs here. It's nice. crazy. It's this, I've been there. It's, it's the shooting range. Yeah, I've been there. Oh it's, man. It is great. It is beautiful. And you know, they're very selective about who they rent that hall to. I know Frank, the guy that I played Frank's wedding, the guy who's the, the president up there, that that shooting association. If we do something up here, I'm going to have to call up Frank and be look, Frank, we got to do this. You know, it's the perfect spot. It, you know, it's it's unreal. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm all about working out and figuring out how to do something in Canada and eventually, I think, even Mexico. Because sure. this is the North American Alporn retreat. This isn't the United States uh, Alporn retreat. So, like, I, I'm I'm trying to spread it out and make it more accessible to more people and easier to travel awesome. to. And you know, I mean, I, I know a lot of at least a dozen people up here who would be supremely interested in coming to to an Alporn retreat. Yeah, some some Canadians don't seem to like to cross the border, and Americans vice, vice versa. versa. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I love um, both countries equally. I, I'm a dual citizen, right? So I, I go yeah. back and forth and stuff. I am American, but I, you know, because I've never yeah. lived there, grew up in Canada, yeah. universal healthcare, yay. You know, yeah. That stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Nice. Uh, Sean, do you have any follow-up questions or Jim, do you have any questions for us before we uh, kind of sign off for the evening? Oh man, this has been great. Well, thanks for having me on, on the podcast guys. Yeah. Really thanks for joining it. us. This is, Jim. this is, Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I, yes, I've got 10 other pages of uh, questions. And so we're going to have to do this again. I I've got a lot of thoughts that, and I I'd love your uh, guidance. And, and like I said, I really admire your work and love what you're doing. So thank you. Thanks for being with us tonight. Wonderful. Such a pleasure guys. And I'm looking forward to the next time we do it. Maybe someday I in person. Yeah, hopefully I've got my my whole setup is is mobile. I've got the board and I've got yeah. microphones, everything. It packs into a carry on size suitcase so I can do this wherever we can meet up in person. And awesome. Maybe at the retreat, we do a podcast. Hopefully that's I, I definitely will have everything up with me there. So cool. Excellent. Fantastic. Jim, thank you. Robert, thank you. Yes. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this fourth episode of the North American Alporn podcast. 
again, if you want to find any of Jim's music, go to Phonos Music or just do a Google search for his name and then tie in either Alphorn or Trombone. That should lead you where you're trying to go. For more information on the North American Alphorn Retreat and our other staff members, go to alphornretreat.com or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram where we will have updates and information about this year's retreat, which is taking place August 5th through 8th at the Solitude Ski Resort just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah.